Okay, shall we uh, bow our heads in prayer before we turn to God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would anoint our ears, that we might be able to hear what you want to say to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you anoint our eyes, that we might be able to see the things you wish us to see in your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint my lips, that I might be able to speak forth the words that you wish me to communicate. And in all of this, Lord, we pray that you would speak into our lives and be glorified because we receive from you and it makes a change in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's open up our Bibles to um, uh, the book of Judges. Uh, we are carrying on in chapter 6. Sunday mornings when I'm teaching, I'm going through the book of Judges. Last time, a couple of weeks ago, when we were in uh, chapter six, we did the first half. We're doing the second half um, this morning and we are doing the testing of Gideon. Now, just to get ourselves up to date, Israel is caught in a cycle of oppression and deliverance. The children of Israel would enter into sin against God and God would raise up a nation to oppress Israel in an act of discipline. Israel would eventually cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And in response, God would answer by raising up a deliverer or a judge, hence the title of the book, Judges, who would then defeat the oppressor and for a period of time afterwards, govern the people. Now, by the time we get to Judges chapter six, the book of Judges um, is in the sixth cycle of oppression. There are actually seven cycles in total throughout the whole book and the nation the Lord is using to oppress the children of Israel is Midian. Midian is a, a nation who traced their heritage back to Abraham and his second wife Keturah and they're a nomadic people based in the area of um, modern Saudi Arabia. In fact if we look at the map here we can see where Midian is. It's right there by the Gulf of Aqabar. Aqabar. And, uh, um, I was listening to a Bible teacher earlier this week and he made a big deal of the fact that Midian was near Aqabar and I wasn't too sure where Aqabar was. And so I did a quick search on the Internet and unfortunately it came up with this Aqabar Park, which is in Yorkshire. And I'm pretty sure um, the Midianites didn't come from Aqabar. So I did another search and it came up with Admiral Akbar, And uh, I'm pretty sure the Midianites didn't look like that either. Yes, no, it was the Gulf of Aqabar. That's where the Midianites were from. And uh, when they came to raid and invade Israel, uh, they were not an occupying force. They were mere raiders. And what they did was they formed a coalition with um, the, uh, the Amalekites who were, dwelt there in the Negev. And they also were joined by some eastern raiders. And together they went north, east of the Jordan, um, up uh, into the land of Israel and then they would cross the Jordan into the land and then once in the land they would spread out and raid the entire land. They would uh, gain all the goods they wanted and then destroyed anything that they didn't want, no doubt killing and raping in the process. And Midian would, would raid using camels and camels are exceptionally fast animals. They can cover 100 miles in a day so they are perfect for lightning strikes. Now, Israel cried out to the Lord 
but before God raised up a deliverer this time, the Lord sent a prophet to speak to Israel. And this prophet highlighted Israel's sins. Uh, Israel may well have cried out to the Lord, but they did not cry out in repentance. And this is a lesson to us not to be fooled by those who cry out to God in times of need. There are many people that might cry out to God and make vows and commitments to serve God in a time of need. But what the Lord is looking for is not just for people to cry out to him. He is looking for a humble and repentant heart. Remember what we did in Sunday school. God looks on the inside and he's looking for repentance. He's looking for humility. He's looking for faith. And this is the problem with Israel. Their turning to God was becoming more and more shallow, hence the prophet there to challenge them about their heart condition. So there's the camel, the sort of animal that they would use to go and raid on the land. That's a, an Arabian camel, so that's the most likely the sort of beast of, uh, that they would use to go into the land. And uh, then we are introduced to Gideon. Gideon is the sixth judge in the book of Judges. And uh, verse for verse, he has more space devoted to him than any other judge. And we can see him there, number six. Uh, now, when it comes to uh, God calling a man to a work, there are typically three stages. There's the stage where God calls him and that person hears and responds to the calling. Then that is followed by a period of testing. Now, that period of testing uh, can last a short period of time or a long period of time, depending upon the individual. Uh, God tested Moses for 40 years in the land of Midian before he executed his ministry um, in delivering, in being used to help deliver Israel from the Egyptian slavery. God called uh, Paul, but before Paul could fully execute his ministry, he, um, he went and into the wilderness for 14 years before he began his ministry. Last time we saw the call of, uh, last time we saw the call of Gideon. And uh, what we looked at was that we first encountered Gideon busy threshing wheat in a wine press, not the best place to thresh wheat, but he's hiding from Midianites. And it showed us two things. He was operating in fear and he was operating with little fruit. And this is a picture of the natural man, not operating in faith and not bearing fruit. And then we meet the angel of the Lord, who is God himself. And uh, the angel of the Lord is sitting under the terebinth tree and he's looking on at this great exertion uh, by Gideon. And uh, the angel of the Lord just seems to be chilling, enjoying the day, taking it easy. But the Lord is able to look beyond the natural man and he can see the spiritual potential of this man, Gideon. And uh, he can see the difference this man Gideon can make once he's empowered by God. And so the Lord calls Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And then it's almost uh, it's almost like uh, God gives Gideon his calling. He gives uh, Gideon his special orders. He says, here they are, Gideon, for your eyes only. And he opens it up and it's and, and the calling is save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And Gideon's knee-jerk reaction is, <laughs> you've got the wrong guy, I'm, I'm Mr. Nobody, I, I can't do this. And he wants to hand the special orders back. But then God gives him a secret weapon. He says, 
surely I will be with you. You see, God never calls us to do something in our own strength, in our own enabling. He will always accompany us in that calling and he will always equip us to execute that calling. But whenever God calls a person to do something, there is always something of the impossible about it. There's always something that thinks I, I just could not do that. But that's exactly how God likes it. Because he doesn't want you to try and obey him and answer um, the calling he's placed upon your life in your own strength. He wants you and he needs you to rely upon him to help you to execute the calling. And that's why God takes a person through a period of testing so they can learn not to rely upon their own strength and their own ability but they can, in fact, learn to rely upon God, to, to, to depend upon God for the power and the enabling to do that work. You see, before Gideon is ready to embark upon this mission to, to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites, he needs to go through a time of preparation. And the Lord prepares a man by way of testing. And it usually involves affliction. Uh, often it involves a wilderness. But most definitely, it requires a dying to self and a learning to place a greater reliance upon the Lord. Gideon may have been called by God, but he needed to die to his old life so that he was free to move forward in the new life God had for him. So let's start to read or continue reading from Judges chapter 6, verses 25 and 26 we read. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. The test is simple. Tear down the altar to Baal build an altar to God and sacrifice a bullock. What, what could be easier? The truth of the matter is that in reality, this test is much harder than just simply doing what God has said. There's three problems that I can see that uh, uh, Gideon is facing and has to overcome. The first problem is that of his own father. In reading this verse, we learn that it, his house was his father's house was the center of Baal worship in that city, in that area. And to answer the call of God, Gideon would first need to make a choice, a choice of whether he put his father first or whether he put God first. And that is never easy when God calls you and you have to choose whether you're going to put God first or family first. And let me tell you, it is often a painful price to put God first, to press forward in God's purposes for our lives. We often have to leave other relationships behind. Sometimes we have to leave unsaved friends behind. Sometimes we have to leave church friends behind to move forward to where God wants us to be. And sometimes we have to choose God over family kind of reminds me of what Jesus said 
uh, in Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our love for Jesus should outweigh our love for any other person, no matter how near or dear they are. Indeed, Jesus said in Matthew 8, 22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Let nothing stop us from following Jesus in what he is calling us to do. The second problem that I see that uh, Gideon had to deal with was the altar of Baal himself. This is a practical problem. The altars built for Baal were not easily destroyed. They were typically very big and they were very well built and they were cut stone in a well-designed construction put together. They were very strong, which is interesting because in contrast to the altars to the Lord, which were um, the altars to God, to Yahweh, were for, for uncut stone. They were erected in a, a far more rough and random manner, manner. And typically they were functional, but they were smaller in size. And to tear down this uh, altar of Baal would have not been a small undertaking. It would have required effort and it would have required commitment. And this is another aspect to us answering the call to God. It doesn't come without effort and without commitment. You see, God requires us to serve him with a diligence. Service to God does not come without commitment. We need to have more than a casual relationship with the Bible and prayer. We need to put effort and commitment in the study of scripture and our devotions. We need to set aside specific time to be with God's word and be with him in prayer and not just be very loose and casual about it. And when it comes to those things that God calls us to do, we need to put our whole heart into it to be fully invested not to treat it lightly. God is looking for people who are willing to uh, put their shoulder to the plough, as it were. And the third problem that I see is uh, public opinion, and this might well be the one that we struggle with most of all in our own lives. Gideon is living in a community devoted to Baal worship, and this community would not take lightly to their number one idol, being destroyed. You see, next to this um, altar to Baal, there was an Asherah pole, a wooden image, and that was to be cut down as well. And Gideon needed to not only choose between uh, God and his father, he needed to determine to make a stand in public. He needed to overcome the fear of man. And I think for us all, that is one of the hardest parts, parts of answering the call to God when he calls us to make a stand in public, when we need, when he asks us to overcome the fear of man by standing up for what we believe in. And if we are to progress in our discipleship, and if we are to move forward as a church, we need to be prepared to make a public stand, whatever the consequence. And invariably, you're going to find yourself in conversations with people in the workplace, with your neighbours, with family members, where matters such as LGBTQ matters rise up uh, and or, or other matters where uh, like abortion or other issues where the Bible is very clear where we stand. But public opinion is different. 
are we going to stand? Are we going to be those people that are going to overcome the fear of man and say, this is what the Bible says? Remember, God has said to Gideon, surely I will be with you. And when we make a stand for God, we never stay, stand alone. We have the assurance that God is with us as well. And he gives us the confidence and the ability to overcome all obstacles. So carrying on with our text, we read there in verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too, much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, this is quite something. Gideon obeyed the Lord God in all that he had directed him to do. Now, admittedly, he did do it under the cover of night due to the fear of what uh, the public might do. But nevertheless, his fear of the Lord did overcome the fear of man and he did do what God had called him to do. It says there that uh, he took 10 servants, uh, 10 men to come and help him. Now, it might well simply be that there was a lot of work to be done in one night to be able to tear down this altar and to erect another altar to the Lord. And he couldn't do it alone. That's why he needed 10 servants to help him. But can you notice? Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, yes. But if we were to go back to um, verse 25, it says, take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven of seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. So there's this seven year old bull. And what God has said to Gideon is use this bull as a means of destroying the altar to Baal, in a sense, possibly using the, the bull to pull the altar to cause it to collapse, possibly use the bull, bull to pull down the wooden image, the Ashtaroth uh, pole. But what is interesting to me, and if maybe I'll just flip back a few pages, uh, see if I can find the verse to put it back on the screen. Can you see there that the bull is seven years old? How old is the bull? Seven years. And if you were to go back to Judges 6 verse 1, how many years has Israel been oppressed by the Midianites? It's seven years. So at a time when food is scarce and the Midianites have taken everything, Joash, Gideon's father, has diligently hidden and preserved and raised this bull that full seven years of oppression by the Midianites. This bull is interesting to me. It's not a, just a, a little white bull, as Tommy Steele sung about. This is a full grown and mature bull. It is Joash's prize bull. The seven-year-old bull, and this seven-year-old bull is Joash's prize bull. Uh, and it is, a bull is a beast of burden, a slave. And Israel was a seven-year-old slave to Midian, like this bull was a seven-year-old slave. And what's also interesting to me is Baal was associated with the bull. Quite often Baal was depicted as a bull. And so there is an irony here that this symbol of Baal is being used to overthrow Baal. Also, the wooden image, Asherah, was cut down and used as firewood for the altar. And if we are to grow in Christ, we are to come and if we're to come through the testing of the Lord so that we're ready to exit, uh, enter into ministry for him, 
we need to have the idols in our lives pulled down and burnt as, burnt as well, the altars to Baal to be destroyed. And God will always take a person that is preparing for ministry through a period of testing to tear down the altars, to tear down the wooden images, so that they are wholly devoted towards God. And here we see Gideon pulling down the altar, pulling down the wooden image, passing the test so he's ready to enter in to the ministry that God has called him to. Let's go on in our passage. Oh, I did have the verses there after all that. Okay, then verses 28 to 30. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wood image that was beside it was cut down and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. So the city awakes to the smell of fresh barbecue. There's the bull burning on this new altar. And they see that their altar and the Asherah is gone. A new altar of unhewn stone with the prize bull being offered in sacrifice to Yahweh is there in place. And the people of the city are absolutely incensed with this turn of events. And they issue a formal investigation into events. And bearing in mind Gideon had 10 men helping him. It doesn't seem to be long before one of them spills the beans and the truth leaks out. And they find out that Gideon, the son of Joash, is the one responsible. And so they demand that the son of Joash be put to death. They issue a jihad on Gideon. Gideon. And uh, this cry from the men of the city only serves to indicate the depth of wickedness and depravity Israel have actually sunk to when they seek to kill a person for upholding the righteous worship of Yahweh. Uh, it, Moses makes it very clear uh, that the death penalty was due to anyone who worshipped foreign gods. Let's read here from Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 to 9, where it says, If your brother, the son of your mother, the son of your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people. The death penalty was due to anybody who worshipped a foreign god. And the men of the city here are those who should be executed, not Gideon. But what is perhaps even more shocking is these men of the city are not pagans and not Canaanites. These are Israelites. Israelites who want to kill someone for serving the God, the very God who delivered them out of Egypt and into the promised land. This is completely upside down, completely upside down. But this shows you the sin and the wickedness that had entered into the heart of Israel, the fact that their morality was completely upside down. And when you live in a society where those who are supposed to serve God advocate worshipping idols and false gods, then that nation 
is ripe for judgment, just as Israel was ripe for the oppression that they received from the Midianites. And then I think to myself, look at our established church. How many churches have we seen worshipping the idols of consumerism? In recent years, we've seen churches having um, crazy golf, health skelters and charging for entry to church buildings. This is the idol of consumerism. We've also seen in our churches the worship, uh, worshipping of uh, the idols of alternate sexuality. Recently, we've seen the Methodist Church endorsing same-sex marriage and the Church of England endorsing that type of lifestyle. This is um, things completely upside down, upside down in our churches and worshipping the idols of entertainment, creating services that feed the flesh and not the spirit, working out what people want to see in church and then giving it to them instead of letting God guide and determine what he wants to say within a church. But when you stand and assert biblical morals and standards, you, 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 know, you expect the world to kick back at you, but you don't expect it from your so-called Christian brothers to kick back. But that's what we face in today's society in this country. When we stand up for what the Bible says, when we stand up and point out these idols that are being worshipped in our churches. We're the ones made to look back. We're the ones that are being attacked the same way that Gideon is attacked. I fear we are living in a nation of Baal worshippers. We are not a Christian country, no matter what anybody says. We are in a post-Christian country. And our God is looking for Gideons. Our God is looking for those people who are willing to go through the test and make a stand. Our God is looking for Gideons who are going to stand up and willing to expose and pull down the altars to Baal and the wooden images to Asherah. Are you the Gideon that God is looking for? Let's carry on. Verses 31 and 32. And Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So Joash goes out to meet this, this mob of people that want the life of his son Gideon. And Gideon's father comes to his defence, his son's defence. And he appears, um, he appears to me at least, to have been shamed into recognising the truth through his son's reactions. And while love for his son may be a motivating factor in his words, I think underlying them is an argument that portrays a revival of faith in that man's heart. He has seen what Gideon has done. He's been convicted and he recognised that the, car, the path that he has walked and the life that he's lived is not right. So he stands up not only for Gideon, but he stands up for the Lord in his argument, in his defence of Gideon. And what we have here is a kind of concise or condensed record of the hearing. And Joe offers, Joash offers two lines of reason or rhetorical questioning. Uh, the first uh, line of reason or question that he poses is, would you plead for Baal? In other words, does Baal need a defence attorney? Does he need you guys to stand up and plead and, and argue his cause? Is he so weak so as to not be able to defend himself? 
And the second thing he says is, would you save him? Would you save Baal? Does Baal need to be saved? Is Baal so weak so as to not be able to save himself? And he starts to point out the superficiality of Baal worship and of the god Baal himself. The implication is, if Baal is any god worth serving, he can defend and save himself. And the thing is, if anyone feels the need to defend or save their god, what that does is it betrays the fact that that god is a false god, because that god is not able to defend or save himself. In which case, if it is a false god, the death penalty is called for. And this is what Joash is saying is, if you feel as if you need to defend or save Baal, you're showing that he's a false god and you deserve the death penalty, not my son. And so the argument is won. And the men disperse, perhaps disgruntled and mumbling underneath their breath. But nevertheless, the argument is won. And Joash renames his son Jerob Baal, which means let Baal plead. And so every time now someone sees Gideon, they have a living testimony before him that Baal is a false god and Yahweh is the true God. But that should be true of all of us as believers. We should all be living testimonies of the reality of the true and living God. It should be evident in our speech and our conduct. It should be evident in the issues we stand up and speak for, like Joash did. You know, it's easy to talk football or current affairs with your work colleagues and neighbours. But do you stand up when it comes to matters of abortion, gay pride or transgenderism? We need the courage of Joash and we need to be those that stand up to be a living testimony. You know, there are many Baals in society today. The first thing that comes to my mind is Islam. Islam has created an almost impenetrable wall around itself where you cannot examine it. You cannot question it. You cannot challenge Muhammad or Allah or the precepts of the Islamic religion. If you dare challenge Islam, you will get the same treatment as the people of Ofra gave Gideon. They'll declare a jihad and demand your blood. But the mere fact that Muslims feel so duty bound to fight, defend and save their God only serves to prove what a false God Allah is. If he was a true God, he would not need people to defend him or save him. But no, dare not raise a word against Muhammad or your life is on the line. This is a Baal of today. And there are other gods. There are other Asherah and Baals in today's society. But if you dare examine and question or challenge these, you provoke the same mob opposition. Dare you try to cut down the Asherah of Black Lives Matter? You'll be shouted down, criticised, accused of being a racist. No, you need to bend the knee or else. No, the fact that you there is such a mob mentality defending and trying to fight for this cause shows that it's a false god. It's an idol of today's society. Well, how about you dare to pull down the altar of transgenderism? If you... If you dare say, if you dare criticize anybody who says they're gender fluid or whatever, you'll be surrounded by the mob as well, accused of being a bigot. There's no room for debate. The thought police will condemn you. 
The unwillingness to even discuss such things shows that these are false gods. These are weak idols. Again, I ask the question, dare you be a Gideon? Dare you stand up and oppose these things and speak the truth in the name of Jesus Christ? The days are getting darker and the call upon us is getting harder and God is looking for Gideons, men who are willing to stand up to pull down the false idols of today's society. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. So the Midianite coalition march up the east of Jordan and uh, they cross the Jordan uh, into the Jezreel Valley, right there, slap bang in the middle of the territory of Manasseh. And uh, they actually uh, camp at a place called the Hill of Morah. Uh, you'll find out about that in Judges 7 verse 1. And this is right on the doorstep of Gideon. And this is where they are going to launch their next raiding party throughout Israel. And remember back in verse 5 of chapter 6, Judges uh, describes the Midianites as being numerous as locusts. But juxtaposed to this army of the Midianites, numerous as locusts, we read this. We read, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and then he blew the trumpet and the Abiezrites gathered behind him and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali and they came up to meet him. So this is verse 34. So Gideon um, is anointed with the Holy Spirit and one man anointed with the Holy Spirit is greater than thousands of men without the Holy Spirit. Just think of Peter on the day of Pentecost, one man filled with the Spirit, but because of his stand, 3,000 were saved on that day. And let's, let me say to you, it's imperative that you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit every day. That is the only way that you're going to be able to make an impact and a change for Jesus is if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Gideon, filled with the Spirit, blows the trumpet, blows the shofar, and men from his clan gather to him and he issues a call to arms. And this call to arms goes out to three other tribes, to Zebulun, to Naphtali, and to Asher. And uh, these three tribes respond to the call. And so they, 32,000 men respond and gather towards Gideon's call. This is a national revival. The fact that 32,000 men from Israel respond to the call of God and come to Gideon's banner. So now we have two armies posed face to face with one another. 32,000 Israelites and an innumerable number of Midianites, Amalekites and people of the East. And what you don't need right now, at this point where you've got the two armies facing one another, war about to start, what you don't need is your general to have a crisis of faith. And yet that's exactly what happens. Then God, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, if, if the hour is upon him, things have moved faster than he has planned, maybe. Suddenly he has gone from threshing barley in a wine press to being master and commander of 32,000 men. And now the doubts settle in. 
And what Gideon needs is assurance. And so what does he do? Well, we read there. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, we all need assurance from time to time, but this is more than needing assurance. This is doubting the word of God. He had had a visitation from the angel of the Lord. He'd seen an offering consumed with fire before him. He'd heard well and enough to destroy the altar of Baal, and he'd been anointed with the Holy Spirit. But now he needs something more. Now, where I meet Gideon at this moment in time is with disdain and disbelief. I can't believe that he's showing this crisis of faith at this moment in time. And I just I kind of look down upon him with scorn, if I'm honest with you. What a weak man. God meets him with grace and kindness. And praise God, the Lord is not like us, eh? I mean, I, I doubt. I need assurance from time, from time to time. And I, I need grace as well. I need God's kindness in my life. And no matter how many times he builds me up, the flesh will always endeavour to knock me down. And God does not abandon us in our weaknesses. Praise his name. He encourages us. He equips us and he enables us. And that's what he does to Gideon here. He meets him with grace and with compassion before we read. And it was so when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece in a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me and let me speak once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry, only the fleece. But on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, this is not doubt on the part of Gideon. This is evidence of unbelief that he has to test the Lord a second time here. What he is saying is your word is not enough, God. You have to bow to my word before I will obey. And that's going into the area of pride. And yet. The grace and the goodness of God abounds and the Lord stooped to meet Gideon's weakness. Praise his name. It reminds me of Psalm 103 verse 14, where it says. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. You know, the Lord has stooped to meet all of us in our weakness. His grace and goodness has abounded in our lives so many times. For why should the Lord consider any of us worthy of his love, eh? Yet he poured out his love on us when he sent Jesus to Calvary. And so Gideon has the confirmation he needs. He has the assurance he desired. Now there is nothing to stop him from moving forward with this army to face the Midianites. His testing has been completed. Now he can move forward in the ministry that God has called him to. And when we have been brought through a period of testing, we will be ready for the ministry that God has called us to. Now, one final word before I close in prayer, and that's to do with fleeces. Many people look at these verses and see how um, Gideon 
laid a couple of fleeces to confirm the word of God. And the question is often asked, should we as Christians employ the use of fleeces in our lives to be able to establish the will of God in our lives? Well, my answer to that question is probably not. Do you want to follow the example of a man who heard clearly from God, a God who spoke to him face to face, performed a miracle, miraculous sign, and then doubted? Do you want to follow the example of a man who heard clearly from God, who not only doubted but moved to unbelief, even to a place of pride so that God had to meet him on his terms? You might say, yes, Matt, but what if I haven't heard clearly from the Lord? What, what if I'm presented with an opportunity or there are a number of possibilities for the way forward and I, and I, and I need a confirmation, a sign? I simply want a confirmation from God. I would still say we should be wary of fleeces because they're so wide open to abuse. Do you know what God has given us for guidance? God has given us his spirit and his word. And if we are devoted to God in prayer and devoted to God in study, his spirit will lead us into all truth. If you want direction personally, I would advocate you fast and pray over the matter. Show your sincerity in wanting to hear the voice of God speak upon the issue. Speak and pray with other members of the church. Wait upon the Lord. And if you wait long enough and in faith, he will guide and will speak. And there might be a part of you that's saying, well, that's difficult, man. It's so much easier to, to lay a fleece on the ground than to fast and to pray and to wait upon the Lord. I don't want to do that. I just want the answer. Welcome to the world of following Jesus. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. Remember, God is looking for Gideons, people who stand up, people who will be counted. He's looking for people who are going to be devoted to his word, devoted to prayer. You know, sometimes fleeces can be an excuse not to seek the Lord with any sincere resolve at all. He wants you before his throne, listening to his still small voice, not casting fleeces at a distance. Don't make him stoop down. You are the one who should stoop down. You should be the one bowing before the Lord, waiting upon him. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen. Father God, please give us the confidence and the courage to stand up and be counted for you. Help us to answer the call to be a Gideon. Help us to be those who bow before your throne, that wait before you, that seek your face and serve you with all sincerity. Help our service to you not to be superficial and casual, but help it to be diligent, deep and sincere, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.